Welcome to episode 107 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, guys, so welcome along to episode 107 of Iron Man Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. And it's actually only Bevan James Isles this morning. John and I got together earlier today and recorded, um, well, we recorded the show and we did it over Skype. And for some reason, the technical gods are not on our side today. So today, we're doing it slightly different. We're pretty much going to put up the interviews that John did uh, with Greg Frame and Chris Gemmore a few weeks ago when he was in New Plymouth. Both interviews go for about 20 minutes long. Chris Gemmell is one of the world's top ITU triathletes, and Greg Frame uh, won his age group at Kona last year, so both of them are pretty established athletes. Um, yeah, let's pretty much get straight into it. Iron Man Talk is proudly brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii for all your coffee needs. Trybuyers.com to go and get all your cool gear, and Athletes.com for all your social networks and results tracking. So, first of all, we're going to get Chris Gemmel on right about now. Well, it's good times today because Bevan's not here and I get to talk short course triathlon, which is my passion, as well as obviously Ironman. So, we're up in New Plymouth for the ITU World Cup and I've got next to me Chris Gemmel, one of our Olympians for this year's Beijing Olympics and World Cup winner, current ranking of fifth is it fifth in the world or at the end of life fourth oh there we go fourth so welcome along to the show chris yeah nice to be here johnny it's bloody great to be here mate it's good and uh chris and i go a long way back and uh, i'm going to be having a chat to bevan doherty later on and um uh, we've talked about chris and bevan quite a few times on the show because they've, they've sort of shown that you don't get the top there's no easy way to get the top and they sort of plugged away for quite a few years before they sort of finally broke through and uh we just don't see that, seem to see that happening with some of our juniors these days. They want to just rip straight to the top. Um, so, Chris, I, I know you probably started maybe around about 16, 17, something like that with triathlon. What was your sort of background before you got into that? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was probably about that age. I sort of, I was, uh, I sort of swam, swam a lot when I was younger. Um, did played obviously the sports that most New Zealand kids do, rugby and rugby league and whatnot, and. Uh, it's probably uh, the sports that were more uh, found at the schools that I went to when I was a kid growing up in the, in the Manawatu. And it was, uh, triathlon was definitely far from the mind. So, yeah, it sort of happened to the point where I ended up getting into triathlon as a fad more than anything. And then I just sort of went with it and got involved in, in the level that, that I'm in uh, as a junior and, and just went from there, really. So, we, I mean, we had a few battles over the years as juniors. And then, um, you know, we both sort of started doing the whole European thing. And you kind of kept plugging away at it. And, and, and back in those days, triathlon, there wasn't as much money um, in the sport. What was sort of keeping you going? Because, um, you know, it wasn't financial in those days. I mean, uh, what was the drive that, that, that was there for you? Oh, I mean, I guess, I guess I always thought that maybe eventually down the road I'd like to become a professional sports person. And I always had this dream of obviously going to the Olympics, representing my country and racing well when I got to that point. Um, when I was younger and I was just starting and those battles that we did have uh, down in Christchurch, uh, I remember them <laughs> fondling my friend. <laughs> you running past me when I was just a youngster and I thought, oh, geez, hell, there's John Newsom. Oh, my God, he just passed me. Put 3K on me. There we go. There's yeah. 20 bucks for that. <laughs> um, no, it was, it, was, it was really a learning curve for me. And 
I think for a long time I started I've been off on the back foot um, in terms of the way that I've uh, developed as an athlete um, I did go to Europe fairly early but I think I was about two three years behind and you know like Bevan for example mm-hmm. um, I did university and I sort of stuck at university finished my degree whereas he cracked up to <laughs> I think it was weeks. six months <laughs> oh it might have been six weeks actually yeah and then went straight to uh, to the lovely land of France and Malouse yeah. with you guys so you know I, I sort of sitting back in, in Christchurch at the time thinking oh geez I think I might like to go and do that right away but uh, you know I decided that I'd, I'd stick around and I probably needed it's probably for the benefit of what I am who I am now as a sports person and who, is that, who I am as a person I, I kind of needed a little bit more tutelage from from obviously from my coach Sean Hellemans who who I've obviously been coached for the whole time of my career and and we've got a really good strong relationship now and I think that comes over time you know he knows that I could have gone away sort of chased the you know so-called money that was around at those times wasn't a lot but still with that kind of like look in my eyes and I decided no I want to stick it out and, and learn a little bit more before I head overseas and and obviously learn the trade that is that I know now. You kind of you did go through the sort of the the system really nicely. I mean, you you sort of when when we were first battling, you were sort of you know I don't know maybe third fourth junior, and then you sort of moved your way up to the top of the juniors, and then you went over to Europe and you sort of moved your way through there, and then you you, you sort of went on to the ITU. And when you first got onto the ITU, you guys were you know you were in the bottom third of the field. Was there a particular time that you know you really thought? you sort of broke through or a particular part of your career where you went oh holy shit you know this I, I could I could do this yeah I, th- I think I think that f- for me personally I'm the kind of person that I could always see improvement and the fact that I could always see improvement always gave me hope and motivation that I would improve further I also f- pride myself in being a fairly astute person in the the whole statistics looking at other athletes watching how they develop and I could see clearly that I was different to other athletes and that I would take a little bit longer to develop although I had a lot of natural talent that natural talent only gets you so far to the point where the hard training starts to kick in and the natural talent just will help you when you get on top of the hard training mm. and and I knew after a while that I would get some really good results like I mean I'd done like four world cups and I'd been 50th and 60th and then I had like a 12th and and then in my fifth world cup I ended up getting third in Tokyo in 2000 Mm. and I thought hang on a second this is not right this is not the way it's meant to be Mm -hmm. and I realized that sometimes you just get lucky sometimes things will click other people have bad days and and you get lucky and I realized that it wasn't always going to be like that and it wasn't you know I had obviously ebbs and flows throughout my career to the point now where I've on the last two or three years I've made sure that it's been on a steadily gradually climbing up the whole time. And um, a lot of guys might be interested to sort of know about life on the road for the ITU guy because we always sort of talk about Ironman. I mean, typically in a season, and I know it'll be a bit different this year because it is Olympic year, but, but how many races are you guys typically doing in a season? Yeah, well, normally, Johnny, there's about 16 World Cups, and obviously, of course, they're all around the world. Um, technically, you might get a couple that'll be in the same continent, but and they're normally spread out, so you tend to be travelling quite a lot. Um, normally, they're quite grouped a lot, so you tend to have three or four races within a month and then there'll be a break of a couple of months and then then we might be three or four races and they generally go with the way the seasons go in the world we have so you know in the southern hemisphere you'll have the races early in the year and the northern hemisphere you'll tend to have the races in the middle of the year and then america grabs some at the end so yeah you sort of end up doing quite a lot of traveling i mean that's just part of the sport um obviously like you say this year being an olympic year um the the planning is such that you have to be a little bit more precise and and I pretty much done a trial run last year on exactly how I'm going to do that. Um, the races at the timing of the events, I mean, I knew, I obviously knew two years out when the date of the Olympic Games would be and, 
and I'd try to work out those kind of things and, and me and John sat down and we tried to make sure that we wouldn't run into the same problem we ran into before and, and so we've decided how to do that and, and that's the way I'll plan this year and so it'll be no travelling, uh, I'll be cutting <laughs> that out completely and uh, just focusing on the races that work into my schedule. Snuggling up in Germany or New Zealand? Um, I'm actually, uh, I mean I snuggled up in New Zealand and Palmerston North for the last uh, five months uh, but I will be uh, leaving the fine shores on Thursday uh, next week and uh, heading straight to Europe. It's going to be a little bit cold, but I just need to, it's time to leave uh, for me. The, the media side of things are starting to pick up, obviously with around with uh, the announcement of the last spot just happened and, uh, you know, things, are expectations, people want to get hold of you and so forth. And so I think it's time for me to leave now. And I've also finished my last, um, my big third phase of my uh, base training and now it's uh, I'm just about to start my first running block. It's uh, it's nice to know I haven't even started doing a, a proper run phase yet, so I'm really interested to see how the race goes in the weekend. Oh, that'll be good. Um, I mean, with that, the, the media side of things, um, obviously when in the early days it was probably pretty cool to be doing a few interviews and things like that, but does it really get to be a bit of a pain in the ass um, after a while, or, or is it just you just accept that it's part and parcel of the of the job? No, it's, it's definitely part and parcel of it. I mean, you, you're a self-employed athlete. I'm a self-employed athlete. I have to I have to put myself out there. I have to show that I'm a product that people want to either sponsor or want to be be known to be associated with, and and that comes with a deal. and And you just have to accept that. I guess the problem in our sport is it's not like rugby, it's not like cricket. You know, we're we're either competing every day or we're competing every weekend, and so people will just get hold of you all the time, and they get to the point where they just want to get hold of you every now and then. Whereas with our sport you're either racing or you're not racing and generally they don't want to come and talk to you when you're doing spending eight hours a day training your ass off and getting up at five o'clock in the morning and going to bed you know two times during the day because you're so smashed they only want to talk to you when you're at an event trying to prepare (laughs) the day before or you're at an event and they you've just raced and you've raced bad or good so you know that's the kind of thing that i don't think some people realize and you just got to go with it and i mean i i'm I'm pretty good with it I, i can i've learn to deal with it and I don't mind it I accept it so it's fine but I, I can, you can see that it really annoys some other people out there but like you said yeah, and, and as I've said on the show before it is um, you are a product and if you want to maximise your earning potential and so on you've got to go out and then there and put your face out there yeah for sure I mean like you know there's companies that I mean, you know, companies that are supporting me it's it's, uh, it's you know they're putting in a lot of time and effort and money and exposure into me and, and I only and I only have, it's, have the right to give it back to them and and uh, I really enjoy uh, the time that I do with this, with the companies that are associated with me, and it's it's great. I mean, I, I actually really enjoy some of the um, stuff that I do with them, and it's it's not a burden by all means. Yeah. So over in Germany, uh, um, it's obviously a bit of a triathlon mad country, but I mean, is it really that triathlon mad? We see so much Ironman activity going over there. Are they are they just all iron focused, or is there a still pretty big focus on short course? Well, up until last year, I would have to say that you know that the likes of uh, of Stadler and, and Ferris and and obviously the people that have come before him uh, were very very well known in, in Germany and make a good make a good living and don't have to raise too much of a finger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the IMA, the uh, sorry, the Olympic distance guys, um, you know, they're, they're getting good coverage. They're very well known. But obviously, last year, um, going into the uh, Hamburg World Champs uh, was massive over there. And of course, to have Daniel Unger, um win that race was just uh, nowhere. It was just phenomenal. <laughs> and um, you know, I had he trained with me every day for the last two months leading into that race. And I was, knew he was going to, knew he was going to go well. But I can't say I didn't think I didn't think he was going <laughs> to win. But he's just a gutsy athlete and. He's the perfect person to win that race for Germany in the mm. sense of try the sport in that country. 
Uh, he's a great role model. He speaks well. He deals well with the media, and it's just been a roll-on effect on, from that. Um, so we've interviewed last week. I think we interviewed Richard Usher, and um, we've interviewed a lot of the a lot of the guys who are good Iron Men who are sort of maybe knocking on the door. They're sort of in the top five sometimes, and, and they, they often just say it is very much a lifestyle sport for them because uh, you know this weekend that the race is eighty thousand um, US on the line. At most Ironmans is only fifty thousand, and you can only do a couple of them a year. Is it? Yeah. You know, can you guys get out there now? And is there a significant number of people really making a, a pretty reasonable living out of there, or is it still a lifestyle for a lot of people? Um, I think I think you know the guys that are finishing in the top uh, top five, top ten in World Cups. Um, you know, all the time uh, that they're doing they're doing not too bad by themselves. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's um you know it's it's pretty good. And if you've got sponsors that are supporting you, if you're getting those kind of results with the way that the fields are these mm-hmm. days, um, the the quality in the fields then. You, you know that you're going to have some pretty decent sponsors and you deserve to have some pretty decent sponsors if you're getting those results. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good competition now um, the, and the World Cup's going to have to get bigger because they're getting some pressure now from some big races in the States and, mm. and they realise that, they know that and so you know this is how the Des Moines race came about last year with the 250,000 US for first and, and how the World Cup series has come back into play with the 50 grand and it deficiates down to... Uh, uh, down five grand every level, so you know you can still finish tenth in the world at the end of the year, and you can still walk away with you know ten grand in your pocket. Nice. So it's 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 good money if you uh, if you it depends also how you live too. You know, like if you're living in a cheapskate, <laughs> yeah, like me. If you're living in a living little ho- hoagie owl in uh, Palmerston <laughs> North, mate, or if you <laughs> if you're shrubbing it in, in New York in a Manhattan flat, I don't know, but um, no, it's um, it's definitely uh, obviously the, the pinnacle of the sport in New Zealand being. Uh, in an Olympic event and, and making the Olympics and of course I mean you know, if, if you won an Olympic medal then of course you're going to make something out of it and when you first came into the sport it was very much uh, what do we have 90, 94 in New Zealand was the last time they had a non-drafting world champs and I think we both went to the Worlds in 96 and that was uh, it was drafting but not for the not for our little junior boys race it wasn't yeah. I mean what do you th- do, do you is it possible to have an elite non-drafting race, um, or is it simply, you know, it's just too close these days, and there's too many guys with the same ability coming out of the swim? Um, because we do see those non-drafting races coming up in the states, but they're still pretty, uh, pretty non-drafting, but they kind of are drafting. I guess that, from my personal point of view, I think you've answered your question. And I think if your viewers have ever seen an elite race, um, they'll maybe start to understand it. It's not a case of the non-drafting versus the drafting. It's the level in this sport has increased so much. And there's no disrespect to all the other athletes and from the, from a while back and, you know, that pioneered the sport in terms of, you know, Olympic distance racing on the non-drafting side of things. But the sport has just transversed so much to the right that you, you can be the best swimmer in the sport, but you'll only be 10 seconds faster than the worst swimmer in the sport mm. over 1,500 metres. And you might be the best cyclist in the sport, but you'll only be 20 seconds over 40k than the worst cyclist in the sport. And and that's why you can finish 20th in a World Cup and only be 30 seconds behind. Yeah. And when you're talking about doing a non-drafting race, that just means a whole lot of guys in a big line. Yeah. And and I think to, I, I honestly think from the, the coverage that I've seen of, of half the Ironman races these days, that's what it's getting to there too. Yeah. The level is getting so high that it's just so hard for someone to be so better than anybody else that you can destroy people and destroy the gap. Yeah. And yeah. and that's what it's you know, that's what it's come down to. And and I guess the officiant have to sort of come up with some idea to either make the gaps bigger 
or, mm. or somehow try and crack down it to the point where they're not making the athletes the athletes are not losing out because of it because mm. of they're improving would you like to see a time trial at the Olympics or do you think they'll ever have another event there um, I don't think I think the reason one of the reasons big reasons why triathlon is the way it is the ITU World Circuit um, is because it's become more of a game it's mm. very tactical it's I, I, I like I see it from my point of view. I feel that I'm one of the best tactical racers on the World Cup circuit. I, I've won races from from breaking away on the bike, and I've won races from waiting in the run. And there aren't many athletes who can do that and have the opportunity to know that they can do it either way. And I think that it's become such a tactical game that not always the best guy wins on the day, yeah, totally. but most of the time it's the best guy wins on the day. Mm. And and that is something interesting about our sport. I think that. It just goes to show that you sometimes, if you pull your heart on your sleeve, that you can still win and, and, and so forth. And in big races like the Olympics, if someone's going to take a risk and who knows what will happen. I think if you time trial it down to a thing, I think it's a good example. If you look at the time trial in the Tour de France, it's exciting, it's great, but it comes within a, a whole surrounding thing. Guys are starting off with time deficits and, mm. and it, it becomes like this whole show. The time trial in the Olympics for me is not as exciting yeah, because true. it's just separate. And it's just one guy racing another guy, and there's no time difference. So you don't know who's the best. You already know who's the best time trialist, and it just seems like it's just uh, it just yeah. goes. Whereas the cycling race, you can't tell who's going to win it. You you have your favourites. There'll be a favourite team that'll work really well for you know like Paolo Bettini and so forth. But it's it's not as exciting. It seems to have a different attitude towards what it has with the Tour de France compared to what it has in the Olympics. And I think for us as a as a sport in triathlon, I don't really think it would do anything. Mm. You brought up cycling there, which obviously brings up the drugs issue. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> I mean, um, is, is that something that you've seen creeping in? Because we, we know an Ironman, yeah, they've had a few cases, but really I don't think there's enough money in there for it to be a major problem yet. But in the short course side of things, there's a lot more money. I mean, is it something that you, you, you see creeping in these days? Uh, I mean, I mean, for, I mean, I, I mean, I just try to be as positive as possible on this side of things, uh, Johnny, and I think that the testing that gets done is 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 good enough that if we were going to have somebody get done for this, then they're going to get caught. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, there's some performances that just seem very very inconsistent that it's almost mind blowing, um, but then there are the guys that are just consistently racing well. And also, I have great faith in you know the likes of like Hamish and, and Bevan. You know, they come out and win gold and silver at the Olympic Games. Uh, cleanest athletes, you know, on the back of the hand. So, yeah. you know, it's still a sport where the clean guys winning. Um, the dirty guys aren't catching up and they aren't beating us. And if there are people out there doing, then I just hope that they get caught and they get taught a lesson. Do you get tested much or? No? Yeah, I mean, obviously the New Zealand Sports Agency is uh, is pretty uh, full on with that, especially with the Olympic athletes. Um, you know, that since we got nominated uh, for Beijing early last year in December, um, well, I would have been done probably eight times at hi- in-house. Um, yeah. Obviously, haven't done any competition races, so I would imagine, and fingers crossed, you know, that things go well, I'll probably get done on the weekend. So it's always a good <laughs> sign if you have to do a drug test after a race that how many you do they, had a good race. How many do they do um, in a World Cup race? Do they do the top three? or They normally random? do the top five, and then they'll do a random two after that. And that's, that's normally probably, say, they, they just take the seven or eight, or they'll take eight yeah. and ten. Um, yeah, but no, no it's, it, it does depend, I will be honest, it does depend on what country you're in, you know, like yeah. it's like always, uh, I'm sure America and uh, and uh, the likes of some countries in Europe have got a hell of a lot more tests that they can that they can do per year, whereas, you know, a small population in New Zealand, sports people-wise, probably only, the drug agency probably only has 500 a year that they can yeah. actually distribute out, so there's only so many they can do, 
um, but that's normally the normal procedure for an World Cup race. Very good. Well, fourth last year in um, in Beijing. Hopefully, we can get a couple of places higher that, than that this year. But I'm not going to say you're going to get a medal because every time I say that, um, we seem to manage the balls up with brownie at Hawaii and things like that. So we'll just wish you luck. I mean, uh, in terms of the the sort of schedule for this year, um, you said you're going over to to Germany soon. Um, what what are your race race plans? Yeah, well, I'll, uh, obviously I'm racing this weekend in New Plymouth, and then um, I will do the World Cup race in Ishigaki a, a week later. Um, it's been a really nice place. Good hunting had, ground for yeah, you. It has. I've, uh, I've raced in six times and I've been out of the top five once. So nice. it's a it's a nice place. I really like it, and I, I thought, well, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go there, and then I'll head to Europe, um, and then I'll pitch up for five weeks in a place called Saarbrücken, which is on the uh, in Germany on the right on the French border, and uh, I'll do a pretty big run phase. Um, and then I'll head up to a place in Fort Romeo in the Pyrenees. Oh, remember yep. it well. We were yes. podcasting live from there a couple of years ago from Epic Camp. Yep, yep. No, it's um, it's uh, it's my favourite place in the world. Uh, I've bought an apartment up there now. So oh, you're not slumming it in the apartment. No, 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 no. Sorry, my friend. Not me. Not me. No, I'm going to be up there for twelve weeks. So couldn't couldn't handle it in the box up there for twelve weeks, mate. So yeah, so I've got a place up there. So. I'm just going to do uh, um, basically two four-week blocks with a um, with a, a block down, but um, I'll maybe coming intermittently back up and down depends whether I sleep up and train low. So it'll be working. We'll work it out, but it'll pretty much follow the same kind of scenario what I did last year. And probably the only other race other than than those races that I'll do, um, I'll be doing some uh, French Grand Prix and German Bundesliga races. So I'm racing for my French Grand Prix team uh, Bouvet. Um, and I'll also be doing uh, German Bundesliga races for uh, for Witten. So it's kind of a, a non-World Cup kind of a build-up. May do Hamburg IT, IT World Cup in, uh, in July, second week of July, but it's mainly a case of, uh, like I said, cutting down the travel and, and sort of keeping my head below the radar and keeping my cars close to my chest. Any aspirations to Ironman? Does that fascinate you at all or not really? Well, it does fascinate me. I won't <laughs> lie. It does fascinate me because... If there's one thing I really enjoy, for instance, over the summer, it's it's I really love to. I mean, I love to ride. I, I, I if I said what's my worst, I would say ride's my worst. But I love doing it. Yeah. I love to ride the bike races with the boys. I do the tour, cycle tours. I did four cycle tours this summer. I really, really enjoy it, and I really, really enjoy that side of it. I also really, really enjoy running long, and I really enjoy running two and a half hours and three hours up in the up in the hills in Palmy and along the trails there. And, and it, it does fascinate me. I wonder how fast I could run and how, how fast I could bike. But at the moment, I don't have any inkling on wanting to do one. It looks like it hurts. And I've been through a couple of people that trained with me over summer that went and did uh, that race in Taupo. And they were fairly, looking, fairly beaten up <laughs> the week when they come back. So, yeah, no, not at the moment. Definitely um, maybe after 2012. I, I hope to obviously race well in Beijing and then... I have this major dream of obviously winning in Beijing and then defeating my title in uh, in London in 2012. Fingers crossed. And we've got who we got here. We've got Suzuki, Power, yeah, yeah, Power and, uh, Suzuki and uh, Suzuki, Avanti and Orca are obviously a big big part of my crew. And then uh, yeah, Powerade and Coca Cola are obviously uh, my major sponsor. So you know they've been really good to me and. Uh, we're promoting a new product soon that's going to be coming out, so that'll be all on the shelves in New Zealand shops very, very shortly. Very so uh, we'll look I'm the little uh, face on the bottle, so no, it's oh, going to be great. Hey, you know you've done it now. <laughs> Wicked, I know you've got a, a dinner date, and we don't want to get you uh, stepping on anybody's toes. So thank you very much for your time, and we'll look forward to maybe uh, chatting with you maybe uh, t- just after 2012 when the podcast will be celebrating its about its fifth, fifth anniversary, <laughs> and we'll be able to give you some tips for your first Ironman. Mate, mate, that sounds great. I'd 
I'd love to be able to talk to you the day after the Beijing, mate, and you can all talk a nice little chat about that. Very good. Awesome. Thanks for your time. No worries, mate. Okay, so I'm still up in New Plymouth, and I've uh, managed to get a bit of a cycling guru in to help us out with a few little tips in terms of cycling. Um, Greg Frain, who won his age group in Kona, racing there the first time, won 45-49 age group. He's also one of the high-performance coaches with Triathlon New Zealand and is sort of the, the bike guru when it comes to sitting in that room and being an elite athlete, rode at Commonwealth Games for New Zealand for cycling. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he can give us some, some cycling tips and especially relevant for, for triathlon rather than just getting, say, a cycling coach in here. So welcome along to the show, Greg. Welcome, Joe. Good. Hey, um, we had a question a couple of weeks ago that I kind of bumbled my way around in terms of answering with regards to tyre to pressures. Um, and you know when you, you pick out a set of uh, tubulars or whatever, you know they've got the tire pressure that you can inflate to. So when it comes to to racing, should should you inflate to the pressure that's recommended on there? And do conditions play any part? And and sort of the road surface. I mean, maybe just talk us through what you should be considering. Well, first of all, like a lot of the tires have got a um, what they call a burst pressure, which is way above where they should be inflated to. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know quite why they put on them because it's physically impossible to pump them that high in the first place. But <laughs> the um, what I work on is because of our New Zealand roads, especially talk specifically New Zealand, yep. um, they're fairly rough, as you've probably noticed. And those people <laughs> who travel outside the world, outside of New Zealand, um, to the rest of the world, realise what uh, t- tough conditions we actually ride in. So. One of the things that happens is on a rough road, um, if you've got your tyre pumped too hard, you tend to get bounced all around the place. That's what I said. And <laughs> especially lighter riders, which we've got a number. So sort of the women, uh, a lot of our elite women, um, have, you know, we sort of uh, they've got to be very, very aware of it because of the, the conditions. And what happens when you're getting bounced around, you tend to struggle to get into a real rhythm in your pedalling, which... Um, Especially for Ironman, um, can be a real problem. Like if you know if you're sort of halfway through the Ironman, you start struggling with your rhythm and your pedaling, um, and you're going to have to muscle it for the rest of the ride. It's a long way to go. So that's probably even more um, important for the Ironman athletes out there. So I recommend that um, you know somewhere between 100 and 120 psi, or seven to eight bars, depending on what your pump wants to read. So. Um, yeah, the bigger guys can get away with a bit more pressure, lighter people probably a little bit less. Um, hear people talking about wet conditions, dry conditions, um, to tell you the truth, um, probably the same pressure all the time. You know, it's, it's and if you were going across to say Europe or Kona, any yep, difference? On Kona, no, you could probably go, like um, I still wouldn't go above the eight bars, maybe eight and a half to you know, be maximum. Um, the only reason you do it is that um, you cut down you, by pumping the tire harder. Um, you will get a, a less contact area with the road, which is obviously a little <clears> bit faster. Yeah. But um, in saying that, um, yeah, the tires are pretty narrow anyway, and um, you know you're not getting a lot of contact, and there's not a lot of rolling resistance. And you know, in New Zealand, the big rolling resistance is actually the road surface rather than the you know the tire in contact with the road. So. So is that when we if go out there and if we're in a shop and we're we're selecting the the tire for say racing day, do we need to be looking for a particular you know thinner one for different sorts of riders or is there any considerations well, there? Well, yeah, probably you can, a, a smaller rider can get away with a, a, a small you know a narrow tire just yep. because of the size of it. Um, what you tend to do is a big rider who gets on a narrow tire can actually risk pinch flats. So they're actually right. if they hit a rock by chance on the, on the road, um, you can get a pinch flat more easily. Um, 
the other thing is a big bag tire. What we you know, like when I say bag tire, it's you know how the sort of the size of the, the roundness of it. Um, you know, 23 or 25 mil are actually very good for New Zealand roads because they absolutely okay. absorb a lot of the shock. So mm. it's an ideal tire for New Zealand conditions, especially in Taupo. For those who are looking at doing mm. Taupo, mm-hmm. in um, places like Kona, um, you can probably drop down to a, the 21 millimeter. The big advantage there is not really the contact area because there's not a lot of difference in contact area once they're pumped up hard. But um, the aerodynamic effect is, if you look at a rim, it's about a 21 millimeter profile. So you're getting a tire that's not sort of bulging outside the side of your rim, and you know, and that all counts. All those little things. All those little seconds count. Um, <clears throat> one, que- we get a lot of questions on power, and, and I'm certainly not don't consider myself a power guru. And the reality is, we were just discussing before we came on. There's there's not a lot of people who are power gurus yet, especially in triathlon. You know, cycling is certainly <clears throat> leaps and bounds ahead of triathlon, but for but iron distance racing, you know, there's, there's still very, very, very new area. So I was just, I want to get a few, hopefully a few guidelines from you in terms of your use of power and, and sort of what you recommend to athletes you coach. Um, <clears throat> I mean, how do you use your, your power meter and training it? And well, basically, what I do is um, I <coughs> gather data from every single ride. Like I, I'll use it for like long rides. I'll use it for recovery rides. I'll use it for you know. Racing, if they do some racing, I'll use it for their, you know, their harder sessions, their, you know, sort of, you know, any interval, sort of strength endurance sessions they do. Um, just basically gather information, get a bit of a profile on them first, and that's the first thing. That probably takes a good couple of months to actually get a good idea about where your athletes you working, I like work with, are at. From there. Um, I start to sort of work on okay, well, if they're going to ride, looking at what their performance expectations are and start to do some calculations on what level of power they will have to hold to ride that pace for an Ironman, which you know is, is a little bit um, it's a little bit hard sometimes because the environmental conditions can change drastically. You, know, you can get the wind come up, it can rain, it can be a hot day, all sorts of things that, that will actually affect it. But you can get a reasonable idea and, and you can sort of train them to a level. Um, and the Ironman specifically, you... You know, you sort of, I see people going out and doing some hard sessions, and they're actually riding a lot of their hard sessions quite a bit above their race pace. Which mm. um, I sort of figure, well, it's probably better to get them into doing longer set, longer intervals at closer to their race pace. So we use power very much for that, and it's it's purely a, a monitoring. It's not sort of um, you know don't use it. People sort of say, oh, I'll put my power meter on because I'm going to do a power workout. Mm. Um, it's actually a purely a monitoring thing, as you would use a heart rate monitor, as you use a speedo, as you would use. A GPS, all those sort of other things that we're using. Um, so that, that is pretty much how I do it. I work on setting their set their um, their power training bands where they're operating in, um, purely from what their expectations are in performance and what they're capable of doing, and then looking at okay, well if they're capable of this, they've got to get up to this, and we start working on it through that. So are there any particular tests you do, you know, to, to set those zones initially or, or are you just looking at race data and um, and just what they do in training? Well, usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll actually get do, um, for the Ironman athletes, go out and do a, some sessions of like three times 20 minutes and I usually get them to do it maybe in the last half hour of a long ride, or last, yeah. last <clears throat> half of a long ride. So they're actually already doing it in a fairly fatigued state. So... I sort of see what they can do, look for drop-offs in power, just for indication that maybe they're going too hard, um, yeah, how they hold it, and, and it, it's sort of, 
ideally, what would be great to do is to go up onto the Ironman course in Taupo. Yeah. Do a race effort, but unfortunately, what happens is, um, you know, it's very hard to actually replicate the race effort on in training. training. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's quite a tough session. If you've got a group, you could probably do it. So. Yeah. Um, what else do I have down here? Um, so, f- do you, with the use of power meters so far, have you found that it, um, it's worthwhile for just your average Joe Bloggs age grouper, or are they better off going and buying a set of race wheels? And then, uh... All right, instant <laughs> fix, race wheels every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, long term, I think the, the power monitoring or any type of monitoring is really the way to go. Like, I, I know that I've managed to achieve some you can get in and do some very, very good things with mon- with monitoring performance, um, especially with a coach. Like if you're working with a coach, it gives them, basically, it gives them the ability to sit on your shoulder for the whole training ride. They can actually sit there and feel exactly what you're doing for the whole whole <coughs> training ride. They can see exactly what you've done, um, where your weaknesses were, where your strengths were, and give them something to work with and, and give you some raw data that actually... You can then say, well, okay, we this was good, but we're lacking here. We want you to pick up the effort in certain areas, and this is what we're planning to do with this session. Um, so you can tailor the session much more specifically for. And um, when you're giving somebody, uh, say that you're right, I want to for for Ironman, would you say I want you to ride in, in a, quite a tight band, or I mean, how much watts spread would you would you have to try? Play? Yeah, we try and keep a fairly tight band, but it's, it's amazing. Just about all the athletes I work with, it's. You know, we sort of set out a, a you know wattage to hold. Um, they generally, inexperienced ones, will go out too hard. Haven't <laughs> <And laughs> big time coming home, and and it's it's almost like you go out um, almost feeling like you're cruising. You know, and you that first half of the ride is actually very very much in control, and it's 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 very very you've got to be very disciplined mm. to do it, um, and that's like I'm not a. I haven't been a great believer in using power monitoring during racing, um, but I think it's feel, probably it's I I would recommend it now and seeing what um, how it can it gives you a tool to control the athlete on the day and say well look I don't want you to go above 250 watts, um, you know and, they're, and then they're coming home and if they are going to go above 250 watts it's in that last 30k coming home when they you know mm. and they can make some big ground on mm. people that are starting to slow down they've gone out too hard. Do you give them sort of really clear limits in terms of on climbs you know do, do often the do you find yourself as well having to soft pedal up climbs oh definitely you, yeah, yeah. Well, that was yeah. a comment we had from uh, Richard Usher we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and he couldn't believe how slow people went up the climbs yeah. and he yeah. just blasted away from yeah. them but I don't know whether he appreciated maybe what that was doing to his legs for, for later on in the day yeah I actually well I cottoned on to it a few years ago I rode with uh, Gordo yeah. <laughs> I was Gordo and I couldn't believe how slow he was climbing up the hills but how fast he went down the hills yeah. <laughs> and I was like well yeah, so I sort of, you know, I I was already playing with monitoring, and so I sort of did a little bit of a spoke to him and found out how many what he was operating at, and he was mm. he was operating at a fairly high level, mm. way above what I was capable of, but um, yeah, it was very interesting, you know, to speak to some people like that. So have you have you changed the way you ride an Ironman ride now, and do you use a power meter when you race? Uh, no, I don't actually use a power meter when I race. Um, I do a lot of training, but I, I'm sort of probably in a situation where I've got very good pace judgment like I've got um, you know, I wouldn't recommend other people to you know to I, I would recommend people who are perhaps new to the sport or haven't got 
300,000 kilometers in their legs and cycling yeah. um, to, to look at using it. It's, you know, and I, if I had access to an SRM, <laughs> I probably would look seriously That's look true. at doing it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, at the moment I've got power taps and things like that and um, yeah, yeah, so that's that's probably the reason why. But I, you know, I definitely am a believer in it. And um, mm. um, other than pacing, I mean, uh, and going out too hard, any other common mistakes you see with with Ironman riders, especially maybe the middle of the pack sort of age group athletes? Yeah, um, that, well, obviously pacing is the biggest thing. Obviously, the, the nutrition and food is you know what I really push out, push home with. Um, you know. And then you know, getting your head around the fact that you know, breaking it down into sections, and mm. you know, the, the breaking the, you know, so you don't go out there and you know, heading up along the lakefront thinking I've got 180 kilometres to go. Yep. You, know, if you yep. break it down into some small bits that are mentally are very easy to achieve. Um, they're probably the key things, I think. But yeah. well, um, sort of maybe just going to Kona a few things on that, and, and you brought up nutrition there. Um, did you change your nutrition much between say Tapa and what you did in Kona? Not really, no. Um, I'm fortunate in the fact that I seem to be able to just pretty much eat anything and it works. So I, I get away, you know, nothing really upsets my stomach, so I don't struggle there. But I probably went a little bit more onto some liquid yeah. type foods mm-hmm. because, because of the heat. Um, you just don't feel like munching down a, you know, a bar or a, yeah. you know, a, a stodgy sort of, you know, heavy sandwich or whatever yeah, you might, yeah. might have normally used yeah. so yeah I, I definitely probably relied on a little bit more of inshore and things like that that yeah. um yeah and then just you know cargo drinks and, cool. yeah um and when obviously when I've Kona it obviously went, went well was there any um specific you know I'm talking maybe here for more the Kiwi athletes that are going to be training up for Kona or anybody who's going to be training up in say the UK winter coming over New Zealand or something like that any specific things that you changed in your training um, to prepare for Kona in particular? Really what I did, I focused on, well obviously the heat is a big thing. Mm. Um, I I went to, I spent two, the last month was spent, uh, the first two weeks of the last month was spent in um, Port Douglas. Oh, yeah. So went to find some hot weather, mm-hmm. um, which actually was <clears throat> virtually exactly the same temperature as, as Kona, so, nice. which was fantastic. Then I came back, um, came back to New Zealand for a week just to get my stuff sorted out. So I didn't sort of go away packing for a month away because mm. you know I find that you know half of it is just sort of thinking oh, I've got to go away for a month and mm. what I have to take. So came back and then repacked for Kona and sort of rescheduled that and spent the week back home. Just got my stuff together, cruised for a bit of a week, and then jumped on a plane and spent a week in Kona. Um, didn't even have a look at the bike course. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Figured I'd have a look at it on the day. <laughs> um, I wouldn't recommend that for everybody because it's uh, it is it's got a few shocks in it. You know, you sort of think that it's going to be a flat course, and no. um, yeah, there's a few few shocks out there. Yeah, so, um, and it's it's not an easy bike course. It's fast, but it's it's one of those courses that's going to come back and bite you mm-hmm. very quickly if you let it. And I guess one of the bigger advantages you've got you live in Wellington, so the wind, and especially last year, it wasn't a windy year. The wind's not going to be as much of an issue for you as it is for other. No, people. I heard it all about the wind, but it, oh, it's definitely windy. You know, yeah, like, and it, but it's quite quite funny the wind it seems to be just for you know ten, the last 10k up the climb sort yep. of thing around to the turnaround and you're coming back and it's windy and then all of a sudden you can actually see it on the sea you can sort yeah. of see the white caps and then it's just dead calm you can see it's almost like a you know someone just switches it off through one channel or it's just through one area so. and and sort of looking back on on the race um Maybe just talk us through how you race. Did it sort of go pretty much perfectly, or, or any drivers? Yeah, it was. For you? Um, I actually, it, 
I'd had blood poisoning the week before I went away. Nice. Um, in back in New Zealand, so that was I didn't mention that in my build up. <laughs> it wasn't anticipated, but um, so what I'd actually had, I had a very strong dose of antibiotics, and I was basically stripped me of a few trace elements and bits and pieces. Yeah. So I was, had an issue with cramping most of the day. Right. But it was it's not sort of like a, a normal cramp where you, you know it comes and it just hits. It just you it's just be hot there all the time. And if you control it, as so I raced fairly conservatively on the bike. Yeah. Um, raced the first part of the run reasonably steady, pulled back a few places and then cruised and then, you know, the last, it gave me the ability to have a very, very good run, I think. So, yep. you know, I think that's probably, pace judgment is the key thing over there and yep. um, like I said before, you know, the, the course is ready mm. to, to bite you any time that you just let your guard down. So I think, you know, the, that'd be my, probably my biggest thing, I think. That, uh, There's a lot of people nice. that go out go to Kona and go very, very hard on the bike. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a made like we it's just you know I guess it, it's coming from a cycling background, I know um, how fast you can ride on those fast roads and you've yeah. got to hold back. You've got to be feel like you're cruising because mm. you go out there you're actually you know, you, you can sit on forty five, fifty K an hour really on mm. quite comfortably. Mm. But you're not gonna do that for that long for the you know, and it's gonna come come back and you know, you're gonna pay for it later on coming home. As I found out, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe just talk us through a little bit of say a typical training week for you. You're you're, you're a busy guy. Um, so Greg's got family. He works for um, Avanti and specialised in New Zealand. Avanti's probably the, the best known bike company in New Zealand. Um, you do quite a bit of coaching and then managing to fit your training in. I mean, I guess firstly before we go into the training, how do you manage to, to fit everything? I mean, what maybe what sacrifices do you make in order to get the training done? Right, first thing I did, I kicked my daughter out. No, she left home, she's at varsity, so there's oh, only nice. two of us now. So oh, I'm a very, very supportive wife. Yeah. Um, I have to mention her. Yeah. Credits. Um, the other thing is uh, time management is a big thing and sort of working around, okay, working around, okay, these are my fixed things I have to do each week, okay, and work, start with those. Okay, well, these are the things, and training actually probably comes last, but I fit it in around that. So it ends up being. Um, Fitting in during the week, maybe two, three hours of, of training, four days a week. Um, might f- try and squeeze in in the last specific build up to a big race, um, a Wednesday afternoon off work. Yep. Sweep the bus nicely and get a Wednesday after so I get a lot of midweek long ride. Yeah. Um, Saturday becomes <coughs> a very long day. Um, mm-hmm. Can be up to nine hours mm-hmm. for the day, and then um, up the next morning and for a long run which yep. um, I run I do that specifically mainly so I'm running and learning how to run fatigued yep. so it's fairly standard but um, it has to be very disciplined and you know there's no sort of oh yeah the day doesn't look very good I'll, I'll delay my training because you haven't got another rest day so yep. or another you know three days so basically it, it's, it can be tough but um, it's, it's really just becomes down to discipline and, and managing your time well mm-hmm. um, and in terms of your maybe your emphasis on the bike do you do yeah, you know, one thing I'm really struggling with at the moment is I'm trying to do these short course races, and I'm, my cycling is just absolutely woeful. Um, and it's I just don't do a lot of threshold training. Is that something you include as part of your Ironman training, much threshold stuff, or are you much more focused on going long and doing sort of Ironman pace reps? No, um, I definitely do some threshold stuff. Like yeah. I do, I quite often include a bit of criterion racing right. during the week. Got a midweek local race, which I find is very beneficial because it's you know just takes you out of your comfort zone a little bit, um, takes you away from just doing the long steady. You know, and I think you you have to complement your long steady riding with a little bit of you know you've got to have 
to ammunition up your sleeve mm. to go up that climb a little bit harder if need be and then you don't have to you know use that you know if you if you've got that sort of ability to go hard for a bit you know for a short period well you can cover a lot of a lot of inefficiencies yep. in that in, in other areas so I think it's definitely an option you, you know you should include it perhaps if not once a week maybe once a fortnight yep. either a race or a shorter interval session or you know some power climbs um, yep. you know that sort of thing so yeah um, what else can we talk about Avanti doing anything special <laughs> at the moment well actually um, one thing that does come up a lot is um, time trial bikes yep. and um, the advantages of them is it massively significant in your experience and what have you found with your sort of trial and error well what I'd say is like, they're definitely faster yeah. okay and but I'd have to say on some courses they're not right. early courses they're probably not not faster and I think in fact they're probably slower mm-hmm. um, they don't climb as well um, just because mainly because of the position on your bike and that's and, and there is a little bit of weight like time trial bikes are definitely heavier than road bikes um, but the payoff you, or the, the payoff you get for is you get a bit of speed because of the position they put you in and mm-hmm. at top end speed they're very very fast aerodynamically so mm-hmm. the aerodynamic side of things doesn't really come into it too much until you get up over 40k an hour right so you know you, the, the front end of the field definitely time trial bikes are, are where it's at um, for you know the middle part of the field, I would say it's probably you know here or there. Yeah. Um, for the tail end of the field, well, I'd say definitely you want to just like you're going to be there and you want to be comfortable on your bike and you know and one thing with time trial bikes, unless you're very flexible, they're not comfortable. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know that, that's the other thing to take into consideration. If you if you're not a particularly flexible person, well, perhaps the time trial bike's not really your option, and you you know you might look at going to. So that that'd be my feeling. Um, your yeah smaller riders perhaps yeah. not as big an advantage because of the weight side of things. Yeah. Um, you know you add a 10 kg bike onto <coughs> you know a 50 kg body frame. If you add a 10 kg bike onto a you know an 80 or 90 kg body, um, it's just this you just don't get the same sort of uh, slowing down effect. I guess. It's, and so you can scare a few people off. Is it likely you'll be back in Kona this year? Um, <laughs> unlikely. Probably unlikely. Uh, news came through yesterday that I'm going to Beijing. So. Oh, very nice. Very <laughs> so good. that will probably put a little bit of a spanner in the works as far as preparation. But we'll see. Like if I do go, it'll be very much uh, fly in sort of Thursday night race yeah. and you're so, out of there. So yeah. I'll see how it goes. But yeah. yeah. Um, and finally, who do you think will win uh, Hawaii this year? Oh, put <laughs> you on the spot. Hey, definitely. Um, I'd love to say Cameron. Yeah, so we did that last time. We don't do that anymore because every time we pick him, he does crap. And uh, anybody we pick, so Cameron's, Cameron's, Cameron's out of the not question. an option. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, like watching Chris McCormick last year is so impressive. Um, you, like, he'd be hard to beat. Very, mm. very hard. Like, he seems to have got over sort of his bogey race and. Um, yeah, he's he was so dominant last year. Really, when you saw him, mm. and he, you know, he was he, he loved the race. He enjoyed mm. it. Um, saw him coming in at the finish, and you know, saw him coming back a couple of times. Well, saw him running, and he's, yeah. yeah, he was very looking very very comfortable, and and everyone else was you know struggling, not fighting. So, yeah. Chrissy Wellington, you must have been pretty impressed with. Her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing. Uh, longest 
uh, acceptance speech I've ever heard in my oh, life really? on stage. <laughs> Probably one of the more interesting ones as well. But um, yeah, 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 she's yeah, amazing athlete as well. Do you think the wind um, for those top guys? If it's going to be a really windy day, do you think that's going to those cyclists will really be able to put the, the hammer down on Maka? Yeah, I, I don't know. He's he cycled very well. Um, it's if it was windy for the whole day. Like as the whole course, well, it, it could definitely do some damage to him. But mm. just that, it seems to be just out at the turnaround. Harvey mm. is is the issue, and and I think you know if you're aware, ready for it, um, you know, and the big guys, if it gets really really windy because it's a crosswind, are going to be struggling pretty mm. much as well. They're not going to be able to use their full power to get through the the wind. Um, so because half of the, half of the time they're spending trying to keep their bike on the road. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. I'm going to go out for a pleasure. bike ride. And uh, all the best for the rest of your year. And we'll uh, hopefully catch up with you sometime when you've got another kind of title on your Yeah, maybe. Cool, Thanks. thank you. Rightio, so that's both the interviews with, with uh, Chris Gemmell and Greg Frame. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so anyway, Iron Man Talk is proudly brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii. And we actually got through a really great email from, I can't remember his name, so I'll make sure I mention it on the show next week, from a guy about... Um, going to the coffees of Hawaii's plantation now this guy went up and checked out the plantations and he said it was just a really amazing experience to go along and see how all the coffees are done and uh, just how it's the best coffee in the world so if you're actually ever in Hawaii make sure you go to their website and check it out and it's just a really great way to actually see how what they do in coffees of Hawaii also if you just want to see some photos you can actually go onto the coffees of Hawaii website and check out Albert's blog and he's put some photos recently which can just give you an idea of what it looks like and what they do in a magical place we've got trybys.com and at the moment they're still giving away the bike I'm thinking it can't be going for that much longer so if you haven't done it yet go on to John's No Brain in Theory and get on there right now go to trybys, get your name down, join up and Bob's your uncle also make sure you check out their specials pages we were commenting on the show when we did the show earlier that they seem to have a lot of cheap website, uh, wetsuits at the moment so if you're thinking of getting a wetsuit I reckon that's the place to go and remember all your shipping costs from anywhere around the world uh, if you spend more than $200 is free so again it's no brainer time lastly we have athlinks.com athlinks is the place where we get to all catch up for you now we're going to change a couple of things about our blog over the next few weeks and once John and I get back from our little trips away we're going to be putting our blog on athlinks instead of using the type pad blog we've used previously so uh, if you're not already joined up to uh, athlinks.com as a member it's a narrow great chance to do that so you can contribute to the blog each week what else is going to happen on Netflix? Actually, we were saying this on the show that not enough of you have actually joined up. So make sure you join up and then you can join in on the blog more and more. So that's Coffees of Hawaii for all your coffee needs. Trybuyers.com for all your try stuff and Netflix.com because we want you to write up all your stuff. Now that's pretty much the show for this week. It's going to be a little bit interesting over the next couple of weeks because I'm off to Bali and uh, so we're going to try to get a few more interviews up and sort out the Skype problem. But other than that, you know, it's good. we'll make it work because we're, we're broadcasting broadcasting professionals. So, um, anything else to add? No? What am I up to for the week? I'm actually going to Bali, which is really exciting. I've never been to Bali before and I'm doing it with my father. And my dad loves diving, so we're going to do some diving and I'm going to do some running along the beach and it's going to be pretty exciting times. John's off to Kaiteri, which is, I think he's going to batch up there because he seems to go there quite a bit. He's kind of abandoned me because we're meant to do this big training run and ride over the weekend. We're going to ride to Akaroa and back and do a long run on Sunday. And I get this email saying, oh, you know, I can't do it because I'm going to Kaiteri for a family trip. So 
I'm questioning his commitment to my training. So, you know, I have to discuss this with him next week. Anyway, that's pretty much today's show. So get out there and train hard and train some up. Yeah, what is it? Uh, I'm Russ. I'm Mentone. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.